today, uh, let me introduce to you the founding pastor of our church, North County Christ the King, Pastor Kim Ryan. Come on up, Kim. Good morning. Have I told you lately how much I love you? I love you, and I'm so delighted to be with you. And I love the fact that the Kendall Campus came down to be with us this morning. I love you, and I don't get to see you very often. So what a thrill and a treat it is for me that you're here. And those of you who are watching online, I love you. I'm so glad to be with you. And my wife is here, and she also loves you. Would you stand up and let them welcome you this morning, Ed? Uh, you know, I, when Pastor Kurt gave me the opportunity to come back and preach here in March, I just jumped on it. And we've flown in from Cambodia, and we've been here just for a few days. But I, I knew this would be just one more opportunity in my life to tell you how much I love you and how proud I am of you. And today I want to talk to you about being an opportunity seeker. Now, I have a confession to make. Maybe some of you know that, and this about me already, but I am an opportunity seeker. I'm one who gets up every morning looking for opportunities to be blessed and be a blessing. I believe that God loves to continually pour out blessing on his children and loves to bless us with opportunities to be a blessing to other people. And you can say, even I had an opportunity addiction. I, lick, I literally live for opportunities to be a blessing. And in fact, here's the definition of what it means to be an opportunity seeker. It's right here on your, on your screen for you. A person attempting to find a set of circumstances that makes it possible to do something they really want to do. I really believe that God loves to fill our life with good things. In fact, in Psalm 130, uh, Psalm 31, it says, How great is the goodness you stored up for those who love you. You lavish it on them who come to you for your protection, blessing them before the watching world. I get to display daily the goodness of my God as I look for opportunities not only receive blessing, but be a blessing. So I get up every day and I believe for blessing. I, I look for a way to be a blessing. I pray for it and I'm sensitive to it. And when I walk into it, I love giving away the love of Christ that I have in my heart for people. I love sharing out of the abundance of what Jesus has done in my life. And I love to give it away freely in coaching, counseling, encouragement, comfort. I'll find some way. Can I bless somebody to help them follow Jesus? Jesus or get in touch with Jesus Christ. Now, the person who's really helped inspire me to be that kind of person is a, a guy from history that I love. Not only Jesus, but John Wesley. And John Wesley is one of my all-time favorite historical leaders. Here I am with John in London. And notice he was just a wee bit of a man, but he was an amazing man with great legs, obviously. <laughs> because he wanted everybody to see the, the monument they made of him kind of like a feature. You know, like, hi, I was a great preacher, but I had even better legs. <laughs> and, and there he is. I'm standing beside him because he's my hero. And yet, even though this guy was so small, his impact was incredible. He not only led thousands of people to Christ, he not only started a movement of churches that exist today, but he, was, he and his brother, brother Charles were credited with, with taking a million people out of abject poverty in London when it was going through one of its hardest times in history. And it all because he was an opportunity seeker. And he, this was his motto for his life. You've heard it before, let me read it to you again. Do all the good you can by all the means you can in all the ways you can at all times you can to all the people you can as long as you can. If that isn't an opportunity seeker, I don't know what is. Amen. In fact, uh, he believed that there was no such thing as a part-time believer. Isn't that great? 
And I complain about all the time I spend on airplanes, but this guy traveled 250,000 miles on horseback. That must be equivalent to 10 million miles on an airplane. I don't, I don't know. But he preached 40,000 sermons. The guy was devoted to sharing Jesus, wasn't he? And the goal of his life and the goal of his whole movement was to use every gift and grace, every gift and grace to win others for Christ. I just love that about him. He has modeled to me a way to really be an opportunity seeker. And I, I know that opportunities on the next slide, you'll see opportunities are a lot like sunrises. Opportunities are like sunrises. If you wait too long, you miss them. Those of us who've seized opportunity and have been blessed by opportunity seizing know you've got to go for them when they present themselves. 19 years ago, Pastor Steve Mason came to me at Bellingham Christ the King and he said, I have an opportunity for you. We believe God wants us to open a campus in Linden and we're looking for a pastor and I'm going to offer it to you first and you have 24 hours to decide. So we were living in Ferndale at our dream home and we, I went home to talk to Ann and we were on staff at Bellingham Christ the King and we went home and within a couple hours we didn't even need a, another sunrise. We knew that this was an opportunity of a lifetime and that despite what everybody said about Linden, that it didn't need more churches and that everybody was already saved there, we knew that it needed another church and not everybody was saved there. <laughs> so we said yes even before the sunrise and we started this amazing church with wonderful people with only 68 of us in a group that got together and held our first service and 404 people came out on July 31st 2000 for our first service and we've never looked back now this church has had an amazing impact and everybody who said there was nobody left to be saved in Whatcom County was completely wrong I went through the, like, through the staff here this week. I got the information about how many people have made a decision for Christ since we opened the doors here. We actually recorded from 2003 forward. And from that day until this day, the number of people who have already received Christ or made a decision for Christ at this church is 6,573 people. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amazing. And then on top of that, we've had times where we had, we've had baptisms, even a hundred baptisms at a day. And when you look at the records for this congregation, we've had 1,495 baptisms since we've opened the doors. This is what God has done through this amazing congregation who said, yes, we're going to preach Jesus. We're going to live Jesus. We're going to walk with Jesus and we're going to share Jesus and we're going to make Jesus name up in lights over our congregation. So night and day, Jesus is exalted. But the thing I love not only about this church's local mission and its ability to get into every home and all the communities through all the ministries we have, but its global heart, its ability to reach the nations with the gospel. You allowed me to go in the nations five years ago and to create the life-giving network along with Alex Halsey and Cherry and Sophia, Sam and Jenny. And we've been working and developing that. And it's been amazing how God has allowed us to do overseas what we've been doing here. Example, I just came back from Cambodia, and in Cambodia, we've had a staggering year again, where last year, we now we've gone to 22 trainers, we have 261 pastors in our network, we had over 3,727 decisions for Christ, but look at the baptisms, in a nation with less than 4% Christian, we are taking that nation, we are moving on that nation, and we are planting churches, and we're building the kingdom of God there. We reached over 5,000 children, and we're just getting started training children's pastors across the nation. 
When I was there, I was in the building that this congregation built. Do you know that several years ago I asked you for $50,000? And Sophia didn't have a building. It was a rapidly growing church. That church has become the second largest church in all of Phnom Penh. It has over 300 people in attendance where the average church size is 30 to 35. He's over 300 people. 70% of them are under the age of 25. And it's a dynamic congregation that is rapidly planting churches. And not only that, inspiring others to do the same. When I was preaching there, I preached on being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the love of God for lost people. And the people were so responsive. They just want to reach their nation for Jesus Christ. But they're doing that because you've invested in them and you said yes to them and you care about Cambodia and you're committed to their success. Amen? It's just amazing. And then in India with Alex and Cherry Halsey, we've had such a phenomenal growth. Let's go on to the next slide there. With the 53 trainers we have across the nation, we now have 1,200 pastors in our network. And those churches have have seen over 37,000 people come to Christ, 5,411 baptisms. We we also sponsor and care for daily 100 orphans. And we're starting new house churches because in a a persecuted nation, and it's easier and better to have like a, a, a simple organic church in a house with two or three believers or two or three couples. And we're starting 16 of those a day. And we have now 5,778 new fellowships. And we're just going after the nation. We're we're attacking these issues. You know, I just want you to feel the level of gratitude I have for your investment in people you don't even know. For your willingness to say, we love lost people so much, even if they're not in our community, even if they're across the sea, even if I never visit them, I care about them. You know, in in India, when I was there, I I got to be with these amazing pastors. Here's a picture of our training center. And we listened to story after story about what God is doing in their life. There were three couples who were working as day laborers. They're all pastors making $2 a day. And they said, if you could just give us eight goats, eight to ten goats, if you could help us buy them, we'll pay you back. We wouldn't have to work uh, for $2 a day as a day laborer. And we could even do more evangelism. This, these couples go into the most remote places where Jesus has never been shared. And they share and preach. And they're just amazing evangelists and pastors. So we, we did. We financed them from the LGN. And they're paying us back. And they're raising their goats. And now they're even more released to reach more people for Christ. And then we have this two, these two pastors. The one in the kind of the orange shirt. He, he has a real sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. He knows in his community that baby girls, if they're the second girl born into the family, are often discarded, abandoned, or given up. So he prays and asks where that's happening. He finds out the family that's wanting to get up, get rid of their baby girl because they can't afford to feed her or there's a dowry payment. So he goes and he takes the baby. So I'll take the baby. I'll find a home for her. And the last baby he found... He found a home in the heart of this pastor, another LGN pastor, who stood up and gave a testimony of how God had given him the dream girl he wanted, and he was given this beautiful girl, and it was through that other pastor finding that abandoned baby and putting it in his hands. Oh, it's just amazing. You know, what I want to convey to you is that what we are doing together, what we started together, what we built together, what Pastor Kurt is marvelously orchestrating and developing We're reaching the world. We're touching real people's lives. It's an issue of life and death. And together, we are overcoming evil with good. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, I believe 
that God wants to fill your life with great opportunities to share Christ here also. You know, I believe there's still more people in Whatcom County yet to be reached. Anybody agree? There's still more people that are unsaved. I see them on the roads every day. (laughs) And I just know that they're out there. And I know there's more people in Kendall. And there's more people throughout this whole community. And America needs Jesus as much now as ever. Amen? We need to preach the gospel. We need to offer Jesus as the solution. But the greatest, you know, of all the things I do, still one of my most favorite things I do at any time is to sit down with people and share Jesus. Oftentimes I'm in an airport and somebody asks me, what do I do? And I said, well, I, I save victimized girls. I rescue women who, who are caught in slavery. I help the illiterate learn how to read. I, I, I help the broken find life and healing. What? I mean, you know, what, what, what is it? What is, yeah, that's what I do. Who do you do that with? I do it with pastors and leaders in impoverished countries. Why do you do it? Well, there's this God by the name of Jesus. And he loves people so much that he wants no one to live a broken life. And he wants everyone to have eternal life. So I would, I'm traveling the world making sure that nobody has to live a broken life and everyone can have eternal life. And I would love for you to have eternal life too. How about you? Any brokenness in you? Anything you need Jesus to fix? And, you know, what I want to say to you is that what I've learned from this text that we're going to look at this morning from Colossians is that Paul taught me and is continually teaching me, if you want your life to be filled with divine opportunities, if that's what you want the most, if you want to be an opportunity seeker, it all begins with prayer. How to pray effectively for opportunities. And in the text we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to read to you the starting point of becoming an opportunity seeker. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Now, isn't that what we all want? Wouldn't you love to have the right response for everyone that you run into your life? It begins by listening to the coach, by listening to the Pete Carroll of Christianity, Coach Paul. Number one, opportunity seekers keep their hearts and heads focused on what matters most. They keep their hearts and their heads focused on what matters most. Devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, I believe that Paul is simply encouraging us all to do what he does. If anybody could just become inward focused, it's Paul. He knows that his life is coming to an end. He's in prison. He doesn't know if he'll ever get out. And yet the thing he wants you to pray for is more opportunities for himself to share the gospel, even with those who are in prison or to get out of prison, that he can share the gospel in areas where it's never been reached. He's living outward. He's looking outward. He's praying outward. He's devoted to prayer. And he wants you to do the same thing. He's passionate about people coming to Christ, even at the end of his life. He's not just sliding into home. He's pursuing the kingdom with all he has. And he wants people to come to Christ because he knows that's the best thing that could possibly happen to them. He's passionate. He's intense. He's praying. He's devoted to it. There's no part-time in Paul. No part-time in Paul. He's all in all the time. Intensity, zeal, because he knows the truth about lost people. 
And it's easy for us to forget the truth about lost people. Now, one of the texts in my life that has radically changed my life has come in Matthew chapter 9. See, Paul understood and looked at people the way Jesus did. And Jesus, when he was on earth, he demonstrated this amazing attitude toward people who did not know him. He would go from town to town preaching the gospel, and he would heal the sick and cast out demons. But it all, became, it all came out of his vision of the crowd. It says in the text, when he saw the crowd, when he looks at them, how does he see them? He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, his vision of them determined his attitude toward them, and his attitude toward them determined his action toward them. It all begins with vision. When you see lost people the way Jesus sees them, you will feel about them the way Jesus feels about them. And when you feel about them the way Jesus feels about them, you'll want to do for them what Jesus wants done for them. And you won't just leave them in their brokenness to find a fight it out themselves to live in darkness and isolation. But you'll go to them like Jesus. Jesus didn't just set up a revival tent in Jerusalem and put out CDs and books and have appointments. No, he takes the whole show on the road. He goes to people where they're at in the realness and the roughness of their life. And instead of just making it easy for him, he goes to them. He pours out his life because he loves them. He knows they can't come to him unless he goes to them. Amen. There is, there, is this, there is this intensity about a shepherd that cares so much about lost people that it leaves the 99 and goes after the one. You know, God provoked in me in my heart. He said, Kim, I want you to go through the entire New Testament and I want you to write down all the descriptions in the New Testament about lost people. What are they really like? What are people like who don't know Jesus? So I don't have them all, but I'm going to give you a few of them. Because there were so many of them who were written by the Apostle Paul. I want, us to, I want you to hear what the Bible describes, what you were, what I was before I knew Jesus. We forget. And this is what the Bible says. We're living in spiritual darkness. We're under the power of Satan. In his grip, we're separated from Christ, alienated from God, with God's wrath remaining on them, without hope of eternal life, without God in this world, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, controlled by their sinful nature, living in malice and envy, being hated and hating others, without peace with God, spiritually powerless, living their life with many woes, ensnared by the cords of their sin, their minds blinded to the gospel, They're children of the devil under the grip of the father of lies. Sinners who will die in their sin unless they receive a savior. When I started to compile all that, once again, my heart was just overwhelmed with the reality. Lost people need us. They can't make their way home without us. We can't just expect them to get their act together and come to church. The Bible didn't call us to be a go-to-church Christian. It called us to be a go-to-the-people who need Jesus Christian. And he wants us to do what Jesus did, to see them the way he sees them, to feel about them the way he feels about them. So we do for them what they need done for them so they come home and experience the love that we celebrate and enjoy on a daily basis. Amen. Amen. Let's applaud the Lord for that. That's the truth, isn't it? 
Why is prayer so important? Prayer helps me never forget where I came from. Prayer retains the gratitude of my heart. In prayer, I remember, as such were some of you, I have a rearview mirror in my life. I know what I came from. I know what I was like. I know what Jesus saved me from. And I'm profoundly grateful. And being in the presence of God in prayer reminds me of the grace of God and fills my life with gratitude. So I want to go out and give away out of the abundance of my heart what God has done for me in Christ Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Opportunity number two. Opportunity seekers get prepared so that they are ready to share. They get prepared so they're ready to share. Paul said, pray that I may proclaim the message as clearly as I should. Now, when I read that text, I went, holy cow. Come on, really? How Paul is the most brilliant theologian who's ever lived. Paul, if anybody understood biblical Christianity, who was it? Other than Jesus, Paul. Who wrote most, a lot of the New Testament? Paul, and yet Paul is still praying, pray that I proclaim the message as clearly as I should. He's still praying for greater clarity. He's still praying for more anointing. He wants to be able to do it succinctly, powerfully. He wants to step into people's life and do it. My gosh, if Paul is praying that, I certainly need to be praying that. Anybody else agree with that? If he's that kind of humility and hunger for better clarity, I want to be praying that myself also. Now, when I'm on the road, when I'm on the road a lot... I love witnessing to people, but my favorite people to witness to are Muslims. And I get, and I purposely, when I go to a nation, I don't get a Christian cab driver. I hire a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist. I try to get people who outside of my faith, I try to get out of the Christian bubble, thank you, and live in the world that I'm in. And I, when I get in the car, I want to know everything about this guy. I want to know his family, his life, what he, how long he's been doing this. I, I ask a million questions. And then finally I get, so tell me about your faith. Well, I'm a Muslim. Well, what does that mean? Well, how do you get to heaven? How could I become a Muslim? How could you lead me to, be, uh, you know, I ask him everything. I want to know this person because I want to win that person. And I know that the best way to communicate to people is seek first to understand then to be understood. I seek to get into his world. I try to make him comfortable that I'm a safe person he can be totally honest with, and I want to earn the right to share with him by first listening to them, their story, and where they're coming from. And who again taught me that kind of methodology? It was the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 9, 22 through 23, he says this, When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can do to save some. I do everything just for the good news and to share in its blessing. And I know that wasn't just Paul's feeling. Peter also believed the need of being prepared to share. He said in 1 Peter 3:15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I try to live prepared because I believe God is going to give me opportunity to share. And I want to be ready. I want to be poised. I want to pounce on it like a cat. I want to seize that moment. I love this quote from Bobby Unzer. Success is where preparation and opportunity meet. But I also like this quote from Bruno Mars. You never guessed I'd be doing that, did you? You can't knock on opportunity's door and not be ready. Amen. 
What does God want you to have ready? Your testimony, your amazing testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in your life. What your life, number one, was like before you knew Christ. Number two, how you realized you needed Christ. Number three, how you became born again. How did Christ come into your life? At four, most importantly, how has knowing Jesus Christ changed your life? Your testimony, your story brings God glory. Say it with me. Your story brings God glory. Come on. Your story brings God glory. One more time. Your story brings God glory. But it does more than that. It paves the way. It moves people from resistance to receptivity to the point where they're closer and closer to receiving Christ. You remove obstacles. You remove barriers. They hear of the legitimacy, the authenticity, the reality of Jesus over and over again. And they move from being far away from God to moving toward God. And as you continue to share with others in their life, they will come to Christ in my belief and God will use your testimony to pave the road for them receiving Christ. How do I know that's true? How do I know that's true? Because it's happened to me and countless others. When I was in high school, I looked like this. There I was, stunning. <laughs> Just, wow. What, the ears were amazing, weren't they? And I'm not talking about the cow. I'm talking about my ears. Uh, you know, and I had just completed confirmation class in the Methodist church in Fairbury, Illinois. And but a few months later, I went to my parents on this very farm and I looked at my parents. I said, there is no God and I'm never going to church again. And I got into a lifestyle of secret sin, of drug and alcohol abuse and immorality behind their back. And when I got to college, I joined the anti-war movement and I, I looked differently in college. Here is what I look like in college. And I did not, I'm not the person on the, on, I'm not the dark skinned person. I'm the other person. <laughs> this is so you, so you know, there wasn't that much of a change, <laughs> but uh, what a look, huh? You know, I had to get rid of the ears. I wanted to go cover that head a little more, but uh, you know, I, I say this to you because that man on the left, a Gucci heaven send the quacha, a Gucci heaven send the quacha was a foreign exchange student at Illinois state university. And he and Debbie Martin ran into me by God's divine design, and for several months they shared with me time after time who Jesus was, how much he loved me, that he could forgive my sins, how real he was. And brick by brick, stone by stone, they removed the barriers and the, and the, and the rejection I had of Jesus until one day at Illinois State University in a study, law, study hall, Jesus comes to me and says, I am God. Man is a saint to live without God. I am God, follow me. And I chose from that day forward to follow Jesus, and I've been doing it for 46 years. Amen? See, I am. I am where I am. I do what I do because two people said yes to sharing the story of God's glory. They came into my life. They were bold. They were caring. They were sensitive. But they didn't stop sharing Jesus with me. And they paved the way for my coming to Christ. They're much like the woman in Samaria that Jesus ran into. You know this text in John 4. When she went back and shared her testimony, said many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman said, He told me everything I ever did. Never underestimate the power of your testimony. Benjamin Disraeli says this, The secret of success is to be ready when your opportunity comes. 
Amen? Now, Paul goes on in his coaching in this text. He says, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. And point number three, then, is opportunity seekers live wisely so they can secure the privilege of sharing. They live wisely. Now, I can't tell you exactly what Paul is saying in this text. I, don't have, I can't read his mind, but I can give you some of my understanding of what I think he's saying about this text. Live wisely, in my opinion, means realizing that people are constantly watching you as a Christian. I knew this growing up in this community, in this town, that people were constantly watching me. They knew I was a pastor of North County Christ the King, and wherever I went, people were watching me. Does he really act like a Christian? Does he talk like a Christian? Does he nice like a Christian? Is there any hypocrisy in his life? Is he just a preacher who lives a different way? Or is there continuity and congruity between what he preaches and how he lives? I knew I was always on when I went out the doors. And I knew that my ability to witness to people was first and foremost through the credibility of my life. If I wasn't authentic, if I wasn't real, I didn't have to be perfect, but if I, had to, if I was you know, consciously living in hypocrisy, I was a turnoff to people coming to Christ. And the same is true with you. The hardest thing for people to get over is our hypocrisy. It is. It's the hardest thing for people to overcome. It makes it hard for them to come to Christ. So what God is doing through the Holy Spirit is transforming us more and more into the likeness of Jesus so with more and more consistency we live out who we really are in Christ so it's easier for people to respond to Christ through us. Amen? We don't have to be perfect. There's no condemnation. There needs to be transformation. There needs to be an ownership. Hey, I need to grow in this area. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I want to be a stepping stone to people coming to Jesus Christ. Amen? Even Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback from Green Bay, has some insight about this. Let me hit this for you. Authenticity is everything. You have to wake up every day and look in the mirror, and you want to be proud of the person looking back at you. And you can only do that if you're being honest with yourself and being a person of high character. You have an opportunity every single day to write that story of your life. Isn't that good? Even Green Bay has some insight. Uh, you know, I want to also underscore that living wisely means intentionally building relationships with people who are not Christian. You know what happens in Christians, myself included, over time is that we spend less and less time with unbelievers, less and less time with lost people, and so much time with Christian people that we get caught in our own Christian subculture. We, take, we talk Christianese. We have our own methodology and our own mentality, and, and we have our own perspective on everything, but we spend less and less time with people who are unsaved, who don't know Jesus, who are walking in darkness. And because we don't have any relationship with them, we don't have any credibility with them. They're going to go through crisis. They're going to go through difficulty. Life is going to be hard. You know, the curse is real, and there is problems, and there are issues. And if we're not there in their life, we can't speak into their life when they need us most. See, not people are not always ready at the same time. People are most responsive to the gospel when they're in crisis, when they're in transition, when they're thinking through the meaning of life, when their spouse has left them, when a child has died. There are moments in their life they're just so ripe and they're, they're vulnerable. They realize the brevity and the uncertainty of life. But if we don't have relationships with them, if we've got to lived our life in a Christian bubble, if we've retreated from engaging in them and their life, we're not there. And they have to navigate it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> like sheep without a shepherd. 
They have to go through the trauma and the heartache and the pain and the loss. And they don't have an anchor in God. They don't have a relationship with a Christian that can just bring coaching and encouragement and lead them to the one who will get them through the hell they're in right now. We must choose intentionally to keep our relationships broader with people who don't know Jesus yet. Live with integrity in front of them so that they have an opportunity to know this beautiful Savior who can not only save them from their sins, but shepherd them through the challenges of life with provision and protection and guidance and hope. Oh, I love my Jesus. And my Jesus still loves lost people. Amen. Number four this morning. Paul finishes his exhortation in this text by saying, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you may have the right response for everyone. Okay. Opportunity seekers share graciously making Jesus as attractive as he really is. See, opportunity seekers don't just tell it like it is. They tell it like it could be. Opportunity seekers don't just put people in their place. They lift people up so they can have the place that God wants them to have. They lift people up. They encourage. They stimulate. They, they help. They offer a lifeline. In fact, when I went through the, and tried to study this text, what does the word gracious mean? Well, here's a definition. Gracious means showing divine grace, being kind to, pleasant, courteous, communicates understanding and empathy with no condemnation or judgment. In my opinion, grace is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Don't put people in their place. Put yourself in their place. Help them feel that you understand what they're going through and lift them up through that. Well, what does it mean to be attractive? What is Paul saying here? I think this is one, uh, one approach at it. It's making Jesus pleasing or appealing to the senses, highlighting the beneficial qualities or features of something that induces someone to accept what is being offered. I believe it's showing the realness of who Jesus is and all the beauty of what he gives us in eternal life. Paul said in Ephesians, he says, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And I can just go over the whole list of all the blessings I receive in Christ. We should have that in our heart, just ready to share with people. He is so attractive. It wasn't his physical appearance. It was his heart and who he is. And he's still the same person today. This beautiful, awesome, amazing, fall in love with you all the time, Jesus, is who we get to follow. Amen? And then the right response. What is that? That it's on target for the need or the issue at the moment. You're not just trying to give them a generic gospel presentation, but you're listening to the heart. You're hitting the sweet spot of the need of people are experiencing in a way that they can hear it and receive it. Oftentimes, I just ask people, so what are you struggling with? How would you like me to pray for you? What would you like God to do for you? I do that because I know I play a lot of golf and I love golf, but I know the difference between hitting my sweet spot with my driver and not hitting it. One out of 20 times, I hit the sweet spot, so I know it's it's an amazing experience. But I'm trying to improve my ability to hit that sweet spot in the spiritual realm by asking the question, What do you want God to do for you? Even Jesus asked that of the blind man who came to him. What do you want me to do for you? 
Now, one of the people I love in this congregation intensely, in fact, I love his wife also, is Stephen Rose Scroggins. Stephen Rose has had an incredible impact on our church as a pastoral role serving our congregation. Stephen Rose have been led by God. To, they've, they've led so many people to Christ in our church over the years, caring for the poor and the needy, doing funerals, one thing after another. And Steve is going to have heart surgery, it appears to be, in coming up in March here. And yet when I visited with Steve, uh, Steve wasn't whining. Steve was thinking about who God had for him at the hospital that he would have the privilege of sharing with. Who would need him to be there to share Jesus with them? And being ready for that moment, whether it be Christian or unchristian, that he knew that if God had him going there for this surgery, that there was somebody there he needed to share Jesus with. That, my friends, is authentic Christianity. That, my friends, is the beauty of Jesus radiating through a couple who embraces even in their own difficulty This is an opportunity I must seize for Jesus. They're very confident about this surgery. It's going to go well. We're confident too. But he's looking for the opportunity to share Jesus with others. Amen? Isn't that great? No, I'm not going to go through the rest of this text. I'm going to let you read it. I'm just going to make the point so you feel like you got all your blanks filled in. (laughs) Because I don't want to be accused of being one of those blankety-blank pastors. Okay? So this text ends with Paul talking about an opportunity. And uh, he says, opportunity seekers network together to accomplish what they could never achieve alone. In other words, when Paul was doing ministry, he wasn't creating denominations. He wasn't creating Christian corporate organizations. He was doing it all out of relationships with each other. And you'll see that with all the people he names in this text. And, And they loved each other and they were for each other. And I live that way now. My whole life is all about a network. In fact, my network begins with you guys. You support me. You believe in us. You help us do the life-giving network. Then I work in Cambodia and I work in India. But it's not just there. You know, we also build houses here right in Whatcom County. And our legit investment team, along with investors, loans us money so we can build houses and sell them. And then that money goes to rescuing the poor and rescuing orphans, giving people a life, lifting people out of poverty, bringing the gospel a simple house built in Whatcom County turns into lives changed and saved. And now we're even getting to do that in Cambodia. I just came back from there. And these are the houses we're investing in and building. We're building three-bedroom, three-bath houses there. And they sell for $65,000. And it's amazing. The people who are doing that with us are letting us get, take a part of the proceeds and give it to the LGN in Cambodia. All of this, because this church still has the heart of Jesus. This church is in love with Jesus. This church wants his kingdom to come. And there's so many yet to come in Whatcom County, so many yet to be saved. And I would pray that God would just continually fill you with the love of God for the lost people that are yet to come. And that you would fill, your your hearts would be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for all he's done for you. But you would also know that all of those who are being benefited by your investment in them, they're using everything you give to reach all they can 
to do as much good as they can, everywhere they can, as long as they can, because you've entrusted it to them. Have I told you lately how much I love you? Please hear it today. I love you. And together, we are loving the lost to Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? Could we take hands? I know you can hand you a horse yourself when you get outside. It'll be okay. You know, because reaching lost people is something we do together, I'm just going to ask us to all lift our hands up together with each other. Just put your, in your hands and lift them up like this. We're, we're the net. We're the net for Jesus. It wasn't pole fishing. It was net fishing when Jesus called his disciples to. And I pray that as we hold hands, God, we so want the harassed and helpless of Whatcom County to come home. We ask and give you permission to take the scalpel of your spirit and remove the calluses from our heart. Indifference, myopathy. break our hearts over what breaks yours we would hear the voice of the crying child we would hear the voice of the victimized teen we would hear the voice of the illiterate woman struggling in poverty with no hope we would hear the broken hearts dysfunctional family toxic situations God give us the courage Give us the wisdom. Give us the love to step into the rawness of ruined humanity. Not retreat. Not excuse ourselves. Help us get our hearts in the game. Help us keep our heads about what's important. Oh, God. God. Make us winsome. Cleanse us of our hypocrisy. Transform our character. Make us authentic, God. Lead us, God, to the relationships that you've ordained for us to walk into. Let us be the Aguchi. Heaven send the quatches somebody needs. receive the Holy Spirit. We receive the power to be a witness for you, Lord. We receive it. We can't do it on our own. We receive the love of God. We receive the power to overcome our fear and our apprehension. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We are your people. 
help us. Use us. Bring the lost home through us. In Jesus' name, because he loves him so much, do it, God.